Disappointment occurs when a person, product, or experience fails to meet our expectations. And whatever your history is with disappointment, there can be a lot of emotions surrounding that. I'll never forget the the moments where my father would say, I'm not angry with you, I'm just disappointed. And I'm like, go on and be angry with me already. I don't want to hear that I've let you down. That's just the worst. But one of my most profound experiences with disappointment surrounded a birthday gift. I was turning 14. My brother had just turned 12. Our birthdays were less than a month apart, and we celebrated them together. I was about to enter my freshman year in high school, and we both had large gifts with a lot of anticipation surrounding what we would receive. My brother, being younger, opened his gift first. It was actually, it had already been his birthday, so he felt entitled, right? And he received, as a gift, oh, wow, a beautiful white electric guitar. And it shined in the light as it did in hundreds of MTV music videos we had watched, and it was amazing. So then it's my turn, and I'm even filled with more anticipation. If he got a guitar, what's for me, right? And I received that year... Oh, wow. A typewriter. We have some compromands in the room. Some young people, this is a typewriter, folks. It's not a computer. You press the button, the letter goes on the page. That's it. No games, nothing, okay? Just so we're, we're aware. And I'm sure it was... in expensive and well-intentioned, but I was a little bit stunned. See, every kid dreams about being a rock star. Nobody grows up thinking, I want to be the band manager. And I thought to myself, in all the wisdom of a 14-year-old, how could a loving parent allow this to happen? I was disappointed. Well, today we are going to be looking at disappointment through the lens of John chapter 6. Most of us know John chapter 6 because Pastor Matt just gave us the children's message of John chapter 6, but there's more to that story. We all remember the feeding of the 5,000. It's the only miracle that, aside from the resurrection, that appears in all four of the Gospels. But after the meal... As you might expect, Jesus picked up some additional followers. That's what happens when you feed people lunch. They chase Jesus across the Sea of Galilee, and they want more from him. And we pick up that story in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. So they said to him, what sign are you going to give us then so we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So let me ask you this question. What are we seeking from Jesus? Maybe hope, blessings. This crowd wanted signs and assurances, right? 
They're looking for something tangible, a sign that God would give them political deliverance. Just as he delivered their ancestors from Egypt. They wanted Jesus to be the second coming of Moses. But Jesus explains his true nature and mission. Then Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you true bread from heaven. For it is the bread of God, for the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I say to you that you have seen me, yet do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and anyone who comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is indeed the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Then the Jews began to complain about him, and because he said, I am the bread of heaven that comes down, or I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not complain among yourselves. See, these Jewish followers are agitated. They're grumbling. They know Jesus has power. I mean, he just fed him them a full lunch, right? But all this talk about heaven and Jesus' father is really missing the mark with them, leaving them disappointed. They were thinking, Jesus isn't from heaven. He's from Galilee. He's one of us. This is Mary and Joseph's kid. We watched him grow up. The Messiah that they were seeking would fix their temporary physical and political situation. So once again, Jesus tries again. Jesus reiterates, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? You know, you guys are hearing this story maybe in a different way. We heard the feeding of the 5,000, but... We don't get this. You know, Jesus is telling them, you're going to live forever. Three times he says it. And they're like, you're going to give us your flesh to eat? The crowd is frustrated. They don't want Jesus to talk about these theological ideas, these platitudes. You know, it's easy for us to dismiss their disappointment. Most of us have been to a few Easter services, right? We know what's going to happen. But these folks were under the thumb of the Roman government. They wanted a God who would make good on the ancient promise of a land flowing with milk and honey. And Jesus offers his body to eat. These Jewish followers are looking for real help. In the face of injustice and unfairness, we want God to make things right. We want God to make our oppressors behave. 
How could a loving parent allow them to suffer? They were disappointed. See, what for them was supposed to be good news is irrelevant news to them. It's great that, that God offers forgiveness and, and wants peace with us, but most of us, like the Jews of those days, were fighting a war on multiple fronts. What about our other enemies? Disease and aging and taxes and inflation. How do we expect God to answer our prayers? And maybe you've come here this morning disappointed with God's answers. But how do you imagine those in the Ukraine are feeling following a Russian invasion? Their democracy is being crushed. Lies are being spread about their plight. Ukrainians, young and old, are standing up against a massive Russian army in a David versus Goliath scenario where it doesn't look like David has the upper hand. Where is their relief? How can a loving parent allow this to happen? In the Old Testament, David is later called a man after God's own heart. That didn't mean he was perfect. That meant that he was authentic and honest and true with God. In Psalm 55, we love the Psalms, right? Because they are that way. After being portrayed by a good friend, David lays his honest heart out to God. Give ear to my prayer, O God. Do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and answer me. I am troubled in my complaint. I'm distraught by the noise of my enemy because of the clamor of the wicked. For they bring trouble upon me. And in anger, they cherish enmity against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Truly, I would flee far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find shelter for myself from the raging wind and tempest. This is a true and honest cry for help in the midst of disappointment. And a lot of us have been there. A lot of us have been in those desperate moments. In her book, No Cure for Being Human, Kate Bowler, who is a, a Duke professor who was diagnosed with stage four cancer in the prime of her life, offered this bold conclusion about her own disappointment. Life is both hard and beautiful. There's tension there in those, those two statements. Life is hard and beautiful. Much to our dismay, the Bible is not a self-help book for us to pluck advice out of context. In between our favorite verses of hope and our, our favorite stories, God is going to make everything okay, right? But in that, there's disappointment. The Jews knew suffering and pain, and they wanted Jesus to correct it. David was betrayed and on the run from people he once counted friends. To all of those, Jesus being bread of life that will sustain them, and maybe even to us, those words might ring hollow. For some of us, that can be a tragedy to hear 
That could be a disappointment. But if you've ever been in those desperate places in life or held the hand of someone whose life or marriage or dreams ended too soon, it's reality. But it's also an invitation. It's our invitation to understand that God didn't send Jesus just to solve our problems or settle our arguments, but to show us love, love that will break our hearts, but somehow make the journey tolerable. Have you ever known love like that? Are there people in your life who know you completely, and I mean completely, and still love you anyway? Maybe a parent or a spouse, a friend or a church community? Because if you've ever been loved like that, I want you to be assured that you have experienced God. Because love like that is both miraculous and divine. Kate Bowler, uh, during those dismal moments, as she's considering her young child who, who might be motherless, as she's considering, considering the husband who might become a widower, she says, in those dismal, sad moments, she experienced love. At a time when I should have felt abandoned by God, I was not reduced to ashes. I felt like I was floating, floating on the love and prayers of all those who hummed around me like worker bees, bringing notes and flowers and warm socks and quilts embroidered with words of encouragement. They came in like priests and mirrored back to me the face of Jesus. You see, because that kind of love is the bread that sustains us and living water for our souls. And that's what Jesus came to give. It's the kind of love that God brought us together to distribute. You know, as the church, God's people, we all have gifts to offer. We all have resources to give. And this morning, I encouraged you all to give to UMCOR, didn't I? And, and, and we wanted to give that, we're going to give that to the Ukraine. And they're suffering horribly, and, and you see them in subways, and you see them dealing with all this stuff, and we're going to give them some cash. It doesn't seem like much, but I want you to hear uh, a conversation that our missions team leader, Don Liebeck, had with the UMCOR offices in Atlanta. He was asking them, you know, when should we send the money? Should we send it as it comes in? You know, do we, do we wait till the end? They said, listen, um, don't worry about it. We're here now. And we will be here for a long time. Now that might seem like a throwaway statement, but what we're giving isn't just money, we're giving our presence. We are going to be there, we're there now, present with those people, and we're gonna be there for a long time. You know, when I've had the opportunity to meet people in their times of desperations, whether it's before a funeral, whether it's in the hospital, there's a lot that I have learned. Um, I have learned to say a lot less. So when we have the opportunity to be present, I want to encourage you to offer simple words. These three phrases I, I've used have never failed. I am so sorry. I love you. And you are not alone. Life is hard and beautiful, 
But that still doesn't answer the question, how could a loving parent allow that to happen? So as we talk about disappointment and our humanity, we can't leave out the disappointment of Jesus, right? Jesus was there. He was both God and human. He knew our pain and disappointment. And Jesus doesn't offer this hope and lofty words from the suburbs of heaven. But he came into our dirty and scary and disappointment-filled words to offer, world to offer this love. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware of this, that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you, there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones who did not believe and who would betray him. And then he said, for this reason, I have told you, no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many disciples turned their back and no longer wanted to, uh, went about with him. Jesus lost a lot of followers that day. After he had shown them all these miracles, fed 5,000, walked on water, healing the sick, sight to the blind, they rejected Jesus. And that left him disappointed. He wasn't what they wanted. I want to go back to, to these, these two gifts here, right? Long after the guitar was collecting dust in an Atlanta pawn shop, this typewriter, which I got my freshman year of high school, served me all the way through my sophomore year in college and produced hundreds of essays and papers and letters and applications. It wasn't the gift I wanted or expected, but it was the gift that I needed. So our story concludes at the end of chapter 6 with Jesus' faithful friends, the closest. So Jesus asked the 12, do you wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to, where, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He was speaking of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, though one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And this leads us to kind of our final truth about handling disappointment. Faith is not a formula. Though the disciples gave everything to follow Jesus... Their obedience didn't come with guarantees that the road would be free of disappointment. See, going to church plus being nice minus sinning doesn't equal a good life. Not for us, not even for Jesus who knew no sin. Following Jesus is hard and it can be disappointing. But Jesus is there with us in that disappointment. So our story of Lent will end with the cross. When we think of the cross, we might ask, how could a loving parent allow this to happen? But maybe it isn't suffering or pain or disease that God allows, but rather free will. See, we can't experience love without free will, but freedom to love also allows the freedom to hurt. The greatest pain and disappointments come from someone's choice, sometimes our own, sometimes the choices of others. Selfishness and sin have led to the war and violence that we see in the Ukraine. Greed and corruption have led to poverty, racism, and pain. What about disease, you might ask? Well, a lot of disease can be traced to our own self-destructive behavior 
or the ways that we have destroyed the world around us. To quote Woody from Toy Story, because I'm a children's pastor, I had to get that in there, right? Someone has poisoned the water hole. But I want to assure you that someone isn't God. Fueled by disappointment and political strife, even the cross is a human tragedy. Our God is one of life, creation, and love. God creates our anger and greed and carelessness tear down. God offers forgiveness and love, but people put forgiveness and love on the cross. How could a loving parent allow that to happen? Where was God in that moment? But I want to maintain that God is in the same place, was in the same place then as he is now and where he has always been. Orchestrating redemption and resurrection. Listen to, to David's final uh, response to the um, problem he had in Psalm 55. But I call upon God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he will hear my voice. He will redeem me unharmed from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. Life is hard and beautiful and often both at the same time. In our hurt and tragedy and disappointment, God offers the gifts of presence, peace, and love that sustain us. And as members of Christ's body, the church, God invites us to be a part of that beautiful and difficult work. So as we conclude, I would like to share with you a blessing for the people of Ukraine that was actually written by Kate Bowler. And may these words speak to the cries of your heart as well. God, the unthinkable has happened. Swiftly, relentlessly, by stealth and through open destruction, the peace of the ordinary has been shattered in a day. O oh God of justice and might, we call to you to come and bring the suffering to an end. Comfort these trembling hearts. Shield the vulnerable. Strengthen those with the resources and resolve to protect what they love in the face of such overwhelming force. Grant wisdom to the nations of our world, to our leaders, and to us to grasp the unfathomable, to see evil in its true light, and to come against it unflinchingly. Dear Ukraine, though we shudder to watch what is happening, we will not look away. Amen.